During the season of Lent and our time through the Gospel of John, there was, there was one question that seemed to come up a lot. Why does God permit bad things? Where is God when we need Him? Where is He in the midst of war? Where is He in the midst of hunger and poverty? Where is He in the midst of political chaos or cultural chaos or economic chaos? Where was God when I lost my job? Where was God when I lost my spouse? Where was God when I lost my child? Where was God? We've probably all voiced some, some version of that question. Even Jesus voiced a version of that question. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And to be honest, it's, it's disturbing to think that even Jesus died without an answer to that question. But today is not Good Friday. Today is Easter Sunday. And on Easter Sunday, God answers the question. On this day, the God who declined to speak on Good Friday... The God who permitted the death of his son, the God who permits pain and suffering and loss, is having the last word. You see, the resurrection of Christ is more than just an extraordinary miracle. The resurrection of Christ is more than just a display of supernatural power. The resurrection of Christ is more than just an idea for us to meditate upon. The resurrection of Christ marks the birth of a whole new world. The resurrection of Christ is about God's ancient promises and God's eternal purposes coming to fruition. The resurrection of Christ is God's down payment. It's God's guarantee that every bad thing will one day be undone. And the very first people to be entrusted with this glorious news were not kings or magi or priests or scribes or even the 12 disciples. The very first people to be entrusted with this glorious news were a couple of grieving women. Matthew 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Why have these women come to the tomb of Jesus? The Gospels of Mark and Luke indicate that the women had come to complete the burial process. But Matthew doesn't say that. Matthew just says that the women had come to to see the tomb. If you ask me, these women have come to the tomb because they've been unable to shake something that Jesus had said. Matthew 16, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Matthew 17, Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. Matthew 20, 
The son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified and he will be raised on the third day. So if you had been following Jesus around and if you had been paying attention at all, where would you be on the third day? We all want to believe that we'd be at the tomb, right? Early in the morning, praying and hoping, waiting on him. But the truth is, most of us would probably not be at the tomb. Not one of the 12 disciples went to the tomb. Only a tiny fraction of the women went to the tomb. And and that is very significant. It's no secret that women were often marginalized in the ancient world. But to be honest, I think think women are marginalized throughout most of the Gospel of Matthew. In chapter 14, we are told that Jesus fed about 5,000 men besides women and children. In chapter 15, we are told that Jesus fed 4,000 men besides women and children. And aside from Mary, women are very rarely named in the Gospel of Matthew. The female characters are introduced as Peter's mother-in-law, or the daughter of Jairus, or a woman with a discharge of blood, or a Canaanite woman, or a widow, or a servant girl. Matthew keeps women in the background. But in the end, I think we see that this serves a literary purpose. Because something happens following the crucifixion. Following the crucifixion, the female disciples of Christ take center stage. They come to the forefront. They follow him further than the 12. They follow him all the way to the grave. Jesus is never abandoned by the women. His female disciples are disciples in the truest sense, all the way to the grave. His female disciples are strong in ways that redefine strength and courageous in ways that redefine courage. And I think Matthew 28 is actually making this point. Look at verse 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. They passed out, in other words. The earth quakes, an angel descends from heaven, rolls the stone away, and the guards become like dead men. And who is left standing? Two grieving women. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And so the women have been in the background, but as Christ is resurrected and a new creation dawns, women form the nucleus of this new community. The women, have, the women have front row seats, 
front row seats to the events upon which all of human history hinges. Now, in pointing this out, I'm not just pandering to the women. There's a theological point to all this. You see, with the details of this story, Matthew is pointing us back to the beginning, back to the birth of Jesus. When Jesus comes out of the tomb, we're supposed to be reminded of Jesus coming out of the womb. This is a new birth narrative. There are two Marys mentioned. And one of the Marys is, I'm convinced, the same woman who gave birth to Jesus. An angel announces the resurrection. Angels were very prominent in the birth narrative, the beginning of Matthew, but we haven't seen one since. And it's not just the presence of an angel, it's what the angel says. Just like the birth narrative, the angel says, do not be afraid. Just like the birth narrative, the angel tells them where to go. Behold, he is going before you to Galilee. Galilee is where Jesus was raised. Galilee is where his ministry began. And so again, we're, we're back to the beginning. The resurrection of Jesus is a new beginning. The resurrection of Jesus is a new birth. And the women are midwives to that new birth. I actually think these women had an, an initial basic understanding of the magnitude of what was happening. And I think this because in verse 8, we're told that they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. Fear and great joy. I want to reflect on that for the next couple minutes. Can you think of a time in your life that was marked by both fear and great joy? I can think of a few. High school graduation, college graduation, leaving law school to step into ministry, my wedding day, the birth of our first child, leaving one church to start a, a new church. Each of these moments was marked by both fear and joy. And what, and what these moments all had in common was that they were hinge moments. Something wonderful was happening, but it was a scary kind of wonderful. A whole new world was opening up and nothing would ever be the same again. When you're standing on the precipice of one of those hinge moments, it's both terrifying and exciting. Both fear and great joy. As these women depart from the tomb, they're thinking... Jesus is alive. Christ is risen. This is the birth of a whole new world. Nothing will ever be the same again. But at the same time, they're thinking, the earth is quaking. Everything is changing. What lies ahead is going to be better, but it's also going to be hard. We're, we're stepping into uncharted territory here. Because this was not just the dawn of another day. This was not just the first day in another week. 
This was the first day of a whole new age. A whole new world was coming into being. As the heart of Jesus began to beat again, as the lungs of Jesus began to expand, as the neurons in the mind of Jesus began to reactivate, the entire cosmos was undergoing a fundamental transition. For ages upon ages, all of creation had been trudging along under the shadow of Adam's failure. But now, all of creation is ushered into the light of his Jesus' victory. For ages upon ages, death had reigned supreme. But now, life has the upper hand and life is mounting a counteroffensive. In the words of Paul, death is being swallowed up in victory. The reign of Christ has begun and he shall reign until he has put his enemies under his feet. The conquest of death has begun. That is, that is the full scope of this event. That is what the resurrection means. It is a, it is a cosmic event. Side note, the resurrection of Christ is also a mundane event. And, and by that, I mean it has profound implications for your everyday life. And we'll talk about some of those over the next seven weeks. But for today, for the next couple minutes, I, I do want us to dwell upon the full scope of what's going on here. You know, it, it seems to me as though we are living through an age marked by widespread spiritual restlessness, spiritual anxiety, spiritual despondency, perhaps even spiritual apathy or indifference. Traditionally, the church has called this phenomenon acedia. Spiritually speaking, many modern Christians are lacking in energy and vitality. Do you, do you feel that? We may experience glimmers of hope and glimmers of joy and glimmers of inspiration, but more often than not, the people in the pews are bored. Now, I don't think that's anybody's fault. I just think it speaks to the spirit of the age. It may be Netflix's fault. No, I think it speaks to the spirit of the age. But no matter why we feel that way, Matthew 28 is calling us out of our acedia. Consider the two Marys. Consider these two Marys as they made their way to the tomb. Imagine what they were feeling. Restless, anxious, despondent, perhaps even indifferent, apathetic. All the wind had been taken out of their sails. The Messiah was dead. 
and, and all of their messianic hopes were dead too. However, for these two Marys, for these two Marys, the resurrection of Christ was like a spiritual defibrillator. They were shocked back to life. They were shocked back to a place of hope and vitality. And the resurrection of Christ, listen, the resurrection of Christ still has that power. The, resur- the resurrection of Christ can shock you back to life. Open your heart to, to the glory and the majesty and the cosmic scope of this event. Let the resurrected Christ reveal himself to you. Let the resurrected Christ speak to you. Take hold of his feet and worship him. Be reinvigorated today. Encounter this living Christ. Experience the fear and great joy of this hinge moment. It's the birth of a whole new world. It's a world of of light and hope and freedom and joy. Every bad thing will be undone, guaranteed. On this day, to persist in a state of spiritual boredom and acedia is simply not a valid option. When faced with the resurrected Christ, nobody gets to say, eh, To be indifferent to the resurrected Christ is to deny him. And to accept the resurrected Christ is to worship him and to depart from this place with fear and great joy. The resurrection of Christ is the death of your acedia the death of spiritual boredom, the death of spiritual indifference. And the rebirth of joy and the rebirth of hope and the rebirth of spiritual vitality and a life of purpose. This day commemorates the birth of a whole new world. So please step boldly into it. Awake, O sleeper, and Christ will shine on you. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we, we do not always know why you permit certain things. But we thank you for meeting us in our deepest questions with the resurrection of your Son. Jesus, you took on our sin and shame. You you took on our pain and our curse. We thank you. We praise you. And Holy Spirit, Lord and giver of life, restore us to life. Restore us to the fullness of joy. Send us from this place revived with fear and great joy. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen.